0: Please grab your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I started my very first paid ministry position at the age of 20 years old. I was a full time college student and a part time youth pastor at a church in a small town about 45 minutes from our college campus. So every Wednesday night, every Sunday morning, I would make that trek across the plains of West Tennessee, and that's where I really learned to learn to love and serve the local church. When I was hired there, the student ministry had come out of a really difficult season where they had lost a lot of their students. And so they told me, they said, your task, Micah, is simple. We want you to grow the student ministry. So I heard that. And as a 20-year-old college kid with very little experience or maturity, I interpreted that call to grow the student ministry as a call to grow numerically. I wanted to reach every student in that little town, I wanted to have the biggest youth group around. So that was my focus. And let me tell you, I pulled out all the stops. Pizza and ice cream, basketball and slip and slides and lock-ins, which are from the devil, and I will never do again. But I also got up in front of our youth group every Wednesday night, and I did the traditional youth ministry. Please, I said, guys, please bring your friends. I will shave my head, I'll dye my hair, I'll jump off the roof if you will just get people to come on Wednesday nights. And guess what? It worked. <laughs> we started with about 12, then came 20, then 30, then 40, then 50. Pretty soon we had 60 students, our, which was a big number for our church. And, and when they showed up, once I got them in the building and we did all the fun stuff, man, I preached my heart out. I said everything I knew to say. I shared the gospel and students got saved <laughs> and we baptized a bunch of them. And the adults in our church, they were so excited. Uh, They praised me left and right, and you can only imagine how that went to my head. I thought, man, I am the greatest youth pastor of all time. This is it, baby. But then one day came a gut punch. It was a a realization I had. I thought, man, I I got a big youth group. That's what I wanted, right? But am I really making a big impact in the kingdom of God? We're growing numerically. But are we growing spiritually? I'm reaching students. I'm getting them in the doors. Everyone's happy about that. But am I really making disciples? And the telltale signs, they were all there for me to see. Students who came for the food and the fun and then left when that ran out. Students who faithfully showed up every week but didn't look any differently from their friends at school. And then me, exhausted, always trying to make it bigger and better. Through that season, I learned a lot about church growth. I learned that growing wider is not a bad thing. Wanting to reach more people is a good desire, but that maybe there's a better way to do that. I also learned that growing deeper is just as important. Discipleship is the key to the Christian life, and ministry is more about playing the long game than the short one. So I discovered that, yes, the local church should be a growing church, but we need to be growing both wider wider and deeper so that ultimately we can grow further. That's what I want to unpack for you this morning as we enter the second week of our series called DNA, Our Core Values. If you were here last week, I explained that values are the motivation. They're the why behind what what you do and how you do it. And we established that everyone has values, whether you write them down and make them official or not, every business, every family, Every person has specific things that they value, that they hold to be dear. A couple years ago, our church chose to clearly define our values so that we would know them and understand them and stick to them. And we have 12, 12 core values, and we've grouped them together into a four-week series. Each week has a particular theme, a particular passage, and then a few values that come out of that. Last week, if you were here, that theme was church health. We talked about why it's important for the body of Christ to be healthy and the values we have to ensure that's the case here. Well, today is about church growth. How do we grow as a church? Let's see that as we walk first through our key passage, then look to our values, and then see what it can mean for us today. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to jump right in the middle to verses 11 through 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This letter to the Ephesian church was written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul here is telling us about the structure of God's church. Uh, Look again at verse 11. He says, he, that's Jesus, he gave us four different offices to the church to lead the church. Got the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and then shepherds, teachers, which I'll explain in a minute is really one. First is the apostles and the prophets. These are two offices that we would no longer recognize today, but that they were key to the early church. The apostles were the ones who saw Jesus resurrected with their own eyes. They were commissioned by him as leaders. Then there were the prophets who guided the church before they had the full and complete New Testament. So those were the two kind of foundational leaders of the church. And then he says came the evangelists. We may be familiar with that word today. We know those are people sent out to preach the gospel. A lot of times we might call those people today missionaries. Then there are shepherds and teachers, which, which I believe refer to the same office, which is the office of pastor or, same word, elder. They are shepherd teachers. So that's the leadership of the church. Offices given by Jesus to lead and to build the church. We get that pretty well. But here's where it gets interesting. Notice what those leaders are called to do. Verse 12, they're called to equip the saints for the work of ministry. What does that mean? Who are the saints? Well, those are the Christians. In other words, for Christians. And who does the work of ministry? Well, it's the saints. It's the Christians. Here's what that means. That means that if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been called into ministry. Did you know that? You know, that's different from how a lot of Christians is how we sometimes think. Sometimes we think it's the pastor's job to do the work of ministry. It's the staff's job to do the ministry. They reach, they teach, they disciple. They're the professional Christians. They get paid to do that. That's their job. So they do the work of ministry and everyone else, we just need to show up and support them and give and invite people to be a part That's not what Paul says here. Look what he says. He says it's actually the other way around. He says the pastors, those called to lead the church, they're the equippers. They teach, they guide, they give the tools. They're the ones who support everyone else. And it's the members of the church, the believers, who do the work of ministry. So That's that's the structure. That's the organization of the church. It's the way God designed the building up of the body of Christ. We see that in verse 16 see, again, the same body imagery like we saw last week in 1 Corinthians. But now in this passage, rather than focusing on the health of the body, he's talking about the growth of the body. And if you just scan these verses, you'll see all these words related to growth. See the words equip, building up, attain, mature manhood, measure of the stature of the fullness, no longer children, growing up in every way. So Paul's focus here is on the body of Christ growing but what kind of growth is this when many people hear the words church growth they think like i did as a 20 year old student pastor they think about the three b's three b's buildings budgets and bottoms in seats right it's all about numbers and size the bigger the better but that's not paul's focus it's not the new testament's focus And I'm not saying it's wrong to have a big church or to have a big building. We know in Acts there were big churches. There were times thousands of Christians gathered together. And big churches often do amazing ministry around the world and in their communities. But Paul wants to do something different here. The kind of church growth Paul is concerned with here is spiritual growth. Yeah, that certainly involves reaching people, growing wider. Paul's entire life was devoted to reaching the lost. Just like Jesus, Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. He called his disciples to go and reach the nations. So obviously reaching more people, growing wider is important, but we don't stop there with getting people saved. Look at what Paul says in verse 13. He says we keep going until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Church growth also means growing in unity. Growing in knowledge of Jesus. And it means growing in spiritual maturity. That's what Paul means by that phrase, mature manhood. Literally translated, it means full-grown man. Or since this includes both genders, it really means adult. The idea is that just as our human bodies grow physically, we should also grow spiritually into greater maturity. Here's why. Look at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So we want to move from being children, being new and immature in our faith, somewhere we all once were, to being fully grown adults. And this is so that we're not tossed around. It uses this imagery of the wind and the waves. It reminds me of the time we first took our children to the ocean. It was kind of nerve-wracking, especially if you know my son, Ben. He's the one running up and down the halls. As soon as we let him loose, he wanted to run straight to the ocean. But the problem was, whenever they got into the water, the wind and the waves would pull them under and knock them down, so we had to hold on to them tight. That's the picture here. Someone who is an immature or who is a new Christian, they're going to be more easily swayed by other teachings. They're going to more easily fall into temptation. So how how can we prevent that? Well, Paul says we need to grow up. Look at verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Notice what we grow up into. It's into Christ. We grow to become closer to Jesus, to become more like Jesus. That's the kind of church growth we want. Yes, again, it's growing wider. It's reaching people. But with the ultimate goal that we are all growing spiritually, growing to become more like Christ. And notice this takes all of us. Look at verse 16. He says, from whom the whole body, the whole body joint held together by every joint with with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Need every part. Church growth happens when every individual person grows. That's the picture. We're all growing individually, and yet we're growing together. And don't miss that last phrase. This is key. This all happens in love. Ultimately, the measure of our growth is not how much Bible knowledge we have or how spiritual we look on the outside. The measure of church growth and individual growth is love, greater love for God and greater love for each other. If we are not being built up in love, we're not becoming more loving, we're not growing to become more like Christ. So That's Paul's picture. That's God's picture of church growth. What then do we as a church value that will lead us to fulfill these verses, to grow in this way? Well, Let me show you three of our values in light of this passage. Because the local church should be a growing church, here's the first. Number one. We value challenging our church family to take personal responsibility for introducing Christ to those in our circle of influence. It's a lot, so make sure you look and see this on the screen. This is our value concerning evangelism. This is how we grow wider. And let me reiterate that growing numerically is not a bad thing. If we care about people, we should care about numbers because every number represents a person made in the image of God. We should want to see our church grow in the number of people who come here every week. We should want to reach the lost and bring more people from the community into our fold. If you don't want this church or this campus to get bigger, then I think you're missing the point of what God's called us to do. Let me clarify. we're not trying to be big for the sake of being big because it's cool. We're not in some kind of competition with other churches. We simply want to reach people for Christ. So, yes, growing wider is important, but here's the key. It's how we grow wider. It's how we reach people. And historically, a lot of churches have attempted to reach people through a method we might call come and see. Come and see. This is the method where we try to get lost people to come to us, to get them into our building, so that hopefully they'll see Jesus and believe. So what? churches have done, not every church, I'm speaking from my own experience, as you've heard, what we've done oftentimes is try and find the best and shiniest bait we can put on the hook. All right, we bring in a big band or a well-known speaker, or we got a pizza or a potluck, or we do a wild game supper or a Christmas play or a revival of some kind with door prizes and giveaways, and we cast our line out there with the hope that a lost person will bite. They'll be interested enough to show up. And then once they get here, we'll say, hey, I know you came for the food or the fun, but first let me tell you about Jesus. (laughs) That that was my strategy as a 20-year-old. If I could just get people in the building, maybe they'll get saved. Let me say, sometimes it worked. I know a lot of people who got saved at big events where they went for one reason and then while they were there found Jesus. I had several guys in my student ministry, in fact, who showed up to meet girls, and then they heard the gospel. So big events, inviting lost people to church with something exciting. I'm not saying that is necessarily bad. There's nothing wrong with having fun in church or having concerts or revivals. But what I've come to believe is that the come-and-see method is not nearly as effective as it once was. There was a day in American history where you could invite a lost person to church and they would likely come along. Friends, that day is gone. Think about it this way. How many of you would go to the local mosque or to the Buddhist temple if your neighbor invited you to go? What if they were having a really big dinner or they were giving away something or a concert? Would would that sway you? I'm guessing most of you probably would not do that unless you went to build a relationship and reach them. But that's how most non-religious people in our culture look at us and the church today. There is nothing that is going to cause them to come here. They don't see a need for it. They don't need the church in their minds. But I believe there's a better way, a more biblical way. Rather than come and see, it's go and tell. And that's what our value is all about. Look on the screen. It's our church family taking personal responsibility For introducing Christ to those in our circle of influence. Let me point out a few things about this evangelism strategy. First off, it involves everyone. Just as we see in Ephesians 4, it's all the saints being equipped for the work of ministry. It's everyone's responsibility to reach the lost and grow the church wider for me and you and everyone else. It doesn't matter if you feel called to evangelism or if you have the gift of evangelism, we are all called to tell others about Jesus doesn't matter if you're shy or outgoing, rich or poor, how much Bible you know, how long you've been a Christian. All of us are called to take the message of Jesus to those who don't know him. It's all of our personal responsibility. Second, notice that we do this in the context of our circle of influence. Now, while there can be value in spontaneous evangelism and passing out tracts to people, most people today come to faith in Christ through a relationship. In the New Testament, there's a Greek word used called oikos, which they decided to make yogurt out of. But uh, that word oikos, it it means household. It was used to to refer to someone's relational network. You see, all of us have an oikos. It's the people we work with at our jobs, our neighbors, our family members, the other parents who are on our kids' sports teams. These are the people we, we see regularly, we have some sort of interaction with. Those are the people we want to focus on reaching for Christ. Because here's the deal. Knowing that we have a sovereign God means we don't believe in coincidence or accident. Every person in your circle of influence has been placed there by God for a reason. The job you work at, the family you're born into, the street you live on, whether you want nothing to do with those places... Or the gym you work out at or the coffee shop you go to, the restaurant you frequent. God has sovereignly placed you in those places with those people around you so you can tell them about Jesus. That means every Christian is a missionary. You are the missionary in your neighborhood. You are the missionary at your job. You are the missionary at your school. God is not sending anyone else because you're already there whether it's big or small you have a circle of influence and God has given you that to be used for the spread of the gospel i mean, just think about the people in this room if we were to map out every place each person in this room went between now and next sunday our homes our jobs places we go to eat visit school we would touch just about every part of this city that's the power of go and tell It takes the gospel to where people are. It brings the good news about Jesus to them rather than trying to beg them to come to us. Again, let me say, please don't stop inviting people to church. We're still going to have some big events that are more come and see in nature. There'll be plenty of opportunities to invite someone to come with you. We're still going to have fun. And if that reaches one of your friends or neighbors and gets them to come, by all means, do it. But I believe we've reached a point in our culture where fewer and fewer lost and unchurched people are going to show up to our building. In fact, many of them drive by and scoff at us. They want nothing to do with that stuff. That's why we have to go to them. That's why we value growing wider through taking personal responsibility and introducing Christ to those in our circle of influence. That's the first value I want you to see this morning. Here's a second. Because the local church should be a growing church. Number two, we value challenging our church family to take responsibility for their personal discipleship and the discipleship of others using the spiritual disciplines. See on the screen, this is our value about discipleship. This is how we grow deeper. You know, sometimes people have kind of pitted evangelism and discipleship against one. Another. Like we do this and we do this. But really we need both. They go hand in hand. We, we want to evangelize and reach the lost so that we can then disciple them in the fully mature followers of Jesus. That's what Ephesians 4 says. we, we got to grow up, become more mature, become more like Christ. And we see this also in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus gave the Great Commission, and he said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, to disciple someone is not just to see them come to faith in Jesus, but it's also to teach them to observe that all that Jesus commanded. And Jesus himself modeled this for us. He didn't just find the 12 disciples, have them pray a prayer, give them a ticket to heaven, and send them on their way. No, what did Jesus do? He said, follow me. Follow me. And they did for three years. They followed, they watched, they learned the way of Jesus. So discipleship is a process of investing yourself into someone so that you can see them grow as a believer. And this is not a microwave process, it's more like a crock pot process. Anybody else like to make meals in the crock pot? Takes time, takes commitment. It takes relational investment, and that's the way God designed us to live the Christian life, not to just wake up one day. Did you just wake up one day after you got saved, and you're like, wow, I am so holy. I got it all figured out. No, we need help along the way, and here at Blue Valley, we have developed what we call a discipleship program. We've created a discipleship handbook that we can put in people's hands. It tells you exactly how you can make disciples by starting what we call a discipleship group or D-group for short. A D-group is simply a group of two to five people of the same gender who meet together weekly for about a year, sharing their lives and their time with God. And most importantly, learning to practice the spiritual disciplines. You see that term in our value, that that phrase, spiritual disciplines. Those are simply the practices found in the Bible that God has given to help us grow. These are practices like Bible study and prayer. Also things like Biblical meditation, fasting, silence, and solitude. And while we practice these spiritual disciplines on our own, our D group's there to help us, to encourage us, to guide us, so that we can do it together. And here's the best part. Listen to me. Here's the best part about our discipleship groups. We've designed them to be reproducible. In fact, that's the whole design. That's why our value is not just about your personal discipleship, but it says the discipleship of others. So once you've been in a D-group, your next task is to lead a D-group. In fact, we baked it into the process. From the very beginning, you sign up knowing that your current D-group is temporary. You sign up with the end goal in mind of starting your own group. I got to tell you, sometimes people don't like that because they think, man, I, I love my group. You know, when you've met together with someone every week for a year, you really get close. I just don't want our group to end. But let me tell you, if Jesus had done that with his 12 disciples... Where would we be? If he would have just said, guys, we really got close over these three years, I think we're just going to keep doing this. There would be no one else. We have to multiply. And here's the power of multiplication. Think about it. If you start with a group of two to five people, then those two to five people start with a group of two to five people. And those two to five people have a group of two to five people. What happens? It's multiplication. It goes on. leads our entire church practicing the spiritual disciplines, building relationships, and growing more like Jesus. That's our discipleship value and our process. It's how we grow deeper. Here's the third and last value I want to highlight for you this morning. Because a local church should be a growing church. Number three, we value challenging our church family to consider God's call to co-vocational or full-time vocational ministry and sending those called out to serve God's kingdom. If the first value this morning was about growing wider... Second value is about growing deeper. We might say this one is about growing further. This value is about spreading our impact to new places by raising up and sending out new leaders. We see the need for leaders right there in Ephesians 4. Let me explain what we mean by co-vocational, sometimes we say bivocational, and full-time vocational. Full-time vocational ministry is when someone has a ministry position as their primary employment. That's me. My job here at the church is what pays the bills for my family, and it is my primary vocation. It means I can't really do anything else. <laughs> but i got to tell you, I, I'm a dinosaur. By that, I mean pastors like me are going extinct. For the last several decades, there's been a market decrease in full-time pastors and ministry staff because many churches simply cannot afford to pay someone full-time. So there's been a major rise over the past few decades in what is called co-vocational ministry. That is someone who's been called to be an engineer or a teacher or a police officer and yet also called to ministry. So so they do both. And their day job pays the bills and frees them up to serve the church for free or for more cheaply. And most people today, including me, see the future of ministry as co-vocational. Especially for those who want to plant churches like we do. You can imagine that most brand new churches are not equipped financially to pay a full-time staff or or pastor. So having a staff made up of people who can take care of themselves financially in other ways, that's a huge asset. That's why here at Blue Valley, we want to raise up not just pastors and ministry leaders that quit their jobs and go full-time in the seminary and full-time ministry. But we also want to raise up nurses and accountants, and truck drivers, people who may enjoy their job and excel at their careers, but who God has called to also pastor his church, or to lead a little kids ministry, or to help lead and worship ministry, so that whenever we plant a new church or launch a new campus, we have people ready to go to be sent. That's how we will grow further. It won't be about just building our little kingdom here, about just making Blue Valley big, but it will be about having an impact in our county, in our nation, and in our world. So those are three of our 12 core values. Those are the values that speak to how we want to grow. We want to grow wider, deeper, and further. And this whole thing came full circle for me about a year ago when I performed the wedding for a former student in my youth group. Yes, that youth group. (laughs) He'd been reached and invited to youth group by one of his teammates on the football team He came, he heard the gospel, he was saved. I then got the opportunity to baptize him, to disciple him for a few years. He went on to serve in our student ministry, he discipled middle schoolers while he was in college, and now today he helps lead in his church's worship ministry. And as I watched him getting married, I stood there just thinking about where he came from to where he is now. I thought, man, this is what it's about. It's about the long game, not just the big flash in the pan. But reaching, discipling and sending and reaching, discipling and sending repeated. And listen, this is not the easy way. Because this kind of church growth takes all of us. It takes every single person doing their part. So let me close by turning to you. What is God calling you to do to help us live out these values? I believe God is calling some of you to get serious about reaching the lost people in your circle of influence. He's calling you to identify those people by name and begin praying for them every day and then looking for opportunities to talk with them about your faith. I believe God is calling others of you to finally take that step and start or join a discipleship group. He's calling you to sacrifice one hour of your time each week to grow with others to become more like Jesus. I'll be happy to tell you more about that if that's something you're interested in. And finally, I believe with all my heart That there are people in this very room that God is calling to surrender to co-vocational ministry. To be pastors, church planters, worship ministers, youth ministers, or any other leadership role. Whatever the case, here's one thing we can be sure of. God is calling you. God is calling you. He is calling all of you, all of us, me, to help our church grow in some way. Ephesians 4 stated clearly, we're all called to the work of ministry. What's he calling you to do today?